0: Welcome to another episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think. I'm Michael Fagan, founder, publisher, and editor of Jazz Is Magazine. To learn more about Jazz Is, log on to jazziz.com. Our guest for this episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think really needs no introduction. He is arguably one of the most fascinating people in the world. I'm talking about Mr. Bill Clinton. You should know that when I wanted to do a cover story on President Clinton, Keeping the topic strictly about music, I reached out to my friend Tom Carter. Tom is the co founder of the Thelonious Monk Institute, of which full disclosure, I am a member of their advisory board. Tom has a long history of public service on Capitol Hill, serving as key staff member for U.S. Senators and Congressmen. He is a government affairs specialist, but behind the scenes, Tom is an unsung music hero who has organized some of the most prestigious music events. And influential music education programs around the world. From the Thelonious Monk Institute's celebrated annual jazz competition to scholarship programs for young musicians, Tom's efforts have benefited a generation of aspiring musicians, some who have gone on to become big stars, and some have been featured on the cover of Jazz's magazine. From his PBS Jazz at the White House concerts to establishing International Jazz Day through his appointment as member of the United States National Commission for UNESCO, Tom is one of the real champions of jazz and music education. When Tom approached the president for our interview, Mr. Clinton's only requests were that we focus the topic on music and that only one person asked the question. As soon as my editors and I got together, including Larry Blumenfeld, I went to work on the format. Tom suggested that Thelonious Monk chairman of the board, legendary artist Herbie Hancock, be that person to ask the questions. We naturally agreed, came up with the topics to cover, and as they say, the rest is history.
1: Mr. President Bill yeah. Clinton, <laughs> this is Herbie Hancock. Herbie. Hi, Herbie. How are you doing? I'm fine. That's great. I, I know you, you're probably extremely busy. I, I want to let you know that... Um, uh, there are a couple other people just listening on on, on the line from Jazz Is Magazine. Michael Fagan and Tom Carter's there too, mm-hmm. and uh, Larry Blumenfeld. Thank you so much for doing this. this is really fantastic, and, and this is a, a new gig for me, you know, interviewing someone, so it's it's a first for me, and and it's great that you uh, agreed to do this, and um, I, I wanted to find out first of all, how should I officially address you? I mean. I'll call you Bill, I'll call, call you Mr. President. Or?
2: When you get out of office, people can call you whatever they want.
1: <laughs> so let's just Ho- get out of the interview. It. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, about what age did the jazz come into your life? Anyway?
2: Well, I was in elementary school. I, I used to sit on the floor next to my old turntable. My mother had an old, you know, old-fashioned record player. Uh-huh. And I listened. She had a lot of the old... Uh, kind of big band like the Dorsey Brothers and Benny Goodman and all that and then when I was nine I took up the clarinet uh, and I started listening to it more and by the time I was in high school I read Downbeat Magazine cover to cover and was seriously involved in it and you know I, I had more music scholarships to colleges than I did academic scholarships when I finished high school
1: Wow I see you that But
2: it started you know I just fell in love with, uh, with first of all that sort of 40s uh, the big bands, and then I went from there. I still remember Ziggy Elman's trumpet solo on "And the Angels Sing."
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, right. I remember that one. I remember that. I remember but I guess when the first I was a kid too. Yeah.
2: I was the, the first guy I really loved was Armstrong. I loved Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, and then when I was in high school, I fell in love with John Coltrane, Stan Getz, Miles Davis. I love Jimmy Smith, the organ player. You remember him? Oh, of course. God, I thought he was great. I had a, I have an old album here that I still play sometimes. I've got an old turntable that I still can play albums on.
1: Oh, uh, really? Oh, that's yeah. great. I actually did something with him. Uh, the first movie score I did was... Uh, uh, But I've known him for a long time, because he was on Blue Note, and I was on Blue Note.
0: He played the Cellar Door once in
1: Washington. I went down to here, and I'll never get over
0: it. Hope you're enjoying this episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think. If you haven't yet logged on to jazzis.com, that's J-A-Z-Z-I-Z.com, do it now. You'll get the award-winning print magazine, our monthly digital editions, and we'll give you the best jazz music in each issue. You can get them on limited edition compact discs, or stream to your phone or computer from our mobile-friendly website and digital editions. So log on to jazziz.com now and become a subscriber today.
1: I, I was, I, you know, I was just thinking about the kind of experience that jazz might have on on someone's thinking. Did jazz have, have any any kind of um, um, influence on? The way you, you think or, or any of your sensibilities. I think
2: you know it. I think if you take jazz seriously, even if you're not great at it, if you like it and you understand it, then you have a you're much more likely to be creative in your approach to other areas of life. Without being reckless. That is, you know, except for as a general rule, you know, you got to play in a certain key. <laughs> and you know what the, and you know what the transitions are. And you know there is a melody line, but you know to make the music really good, you have to vary from it. And you know you can play the same song a thousand times and it's always a little different and beautiful in a different way. And I think people who who have both the discipline and the creativity of jazz are more likely to make good decisions. I also think it's a <laughs> it shows you the benefits of a merit-based democracy where people can come and contribute and the music comes out of the horns whatever their race or background it's it's a, they're speaking the same music language they're 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 able to do something just because of a gift that they've cultivated and i think that's that's also an important lesson to them I and you know some of my favorite living tenor saxophone player now is Igor Butman from Russia. Oh, yeah, And, yeah, you yeah. know, the, and you go to a lot of these other former communist countries. I was in Bulgaria one night, went to a jazz club, and they were really good, you know. Mm-hmm. And I went to a jazz club in 94 uh, with, with Vaclav Havel. I've been back twice since just to hear the Czech musicians. They're just good.
1: All right, yeah. He's a big jazz fan. Huge. Right, that's, that's what I heard. Uh, Madeline Albright told me one time that uh, she used to take him to jazz clubs when he came to, to, the, to New York
2: yeah well he really believes that music had a lot to do with the fact that the Czech Republic was able to have a peaceful revolution away from communism and uh, you know he basically cited jazz musicians and Lou Reed as having a big impact on it cause then they, they used to gather in these places and listen to music and it would inspire them to keep going p- pushing for personal freedom
1: wow that's fantastic that, that even kind of relates in a way to a statement that I've, I've heard that you said which is it's easier to understand a nation by listening to his music than by learning its language and I mean since jazz is, is really a, an American art form an American born wh- what do you think it says about this nation I mean w- part of course you just explained it in, in many ways that it's so democratic which yeah, something it, I said
2: it, first of all I do think that. I mean, you listen to Russian music, and it tells you a lot about their pride, their love of home, their, their sense of grandiosity. You know, it's, it's, you learn a lot. You, you, you listen to German music, you learn a lot. And it's not that they're all, not all kinds of different music, but you can listen to their music at different periods in time, and it reflects the kind of mindset of the people. But jazz, I think, is it's an American art form because it, its roots... In the blues and gospel music and African tribal music, but it's encompassed and had appealed to all kinds of people, all over the world and all kinds of people within America. Uh, and I think that it is democratic in the best sense, in that it's open to all, accessible to all, and it's also entrepreneurial. It's in inher- you know, it totally creative. People can, uh, and some people play the same kind of music all their lives and some people are always doing new things as long as they live.
1: Right, right. It, you know? And jazz and, allows for all of that, all of that.
2: You look at the... Uh, I mean, and 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 there's always room for something different. I think, you know, Dave Brubeck fundamentally changed what a lot of people thought about jazz because he played songs that were not... In, uh, standard beats, they weren't all 3-4 four, or 4-4, four, four. you know he did right, Take right. 5 he did Blue Rondo a la Turk, he did all these incredible songs that were almost classical but still clearly jazz I mean yeah, there's always some there's some way that any person who cared about the music and being creative and understood the fundamentals of jazz could adapt almost anything that was in his or her head to it
1: it's really fantastic. You know, um, would, you, would you say that jazz appeals to people because it reflects the freedom of the human heart? Yeah,
2: it's like standing up, hearing somebody read his own poem. <laughs> you know, it's like if you go yeah, to a jazz club and you're hearing, and you go, and there, let's say there's three different groups playing, and you're going because you... Want to hear one, and you you know what you're going to hear more or less, and you're still going to be a little surprised. And then there's two other groups there, and they're completely different. And you learn something else about the music by hearing how they see, they feel it, and they play it, and how they imagine it. I mean, basically, it's a way of you know, it's it's sort of like opening your not only your your mind and your heart to someone else. Anytime somebody plays a song, you think you know, and then they then it's different. They tell you something you never you wouldn't have known otherwise about themselves as well as about the music.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's a certain um, reflection of of, of 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 vulnerability and the courage to be vulnerable yeah. that goes into the playing.
2: Sometimes you know I've got uh, now ever since I got an iPod. Right. I, find, I sometimes take old standards and have like somewhere between five and eight different versions Oh yeah. on yeah, it okay. right away, just so I can see how different people did it. Like My Funny Valentine, listening to the difference in the way Miles Davis plays it and Ella Fitzgerald sings it. And why do some people sing the intro and others not? And how do they do it? And how is it set up? Uh, how many different ways can you play Summertime? How many different tempos? Right. How many different, you know, it's, it's really interesting. If you take a simple uh, piece like that and then listen to really gifted, a simple, something simple but beautiful, and then listen to, you know, five or six different people take it apart and put it together again, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's in some ways the best way to learn about jazz, hearing, you know, stacking up the same tune by four or five different artists
1: you know what what's interesting to me hearing you say all this is that so much of of, of, of that applies so beautifully to human life and the a way of looking at at, at at life you know with the kind of open you use the word open several times and 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 I feel that too that jazz has an openness that uh, uh, is a, a kind of a hallmark of, 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 of uh, what it's really about and, and, and it's it's uh, a wonderful attribute that has uh, great demands in, in human life and, and how, how to live it
2: yeah it, it really does and I, one of the another thing is I, I like it because it is by definition inclusive and right. you don't have to like it all to honor it. It's really interesting. I mean, like, it's fascinating to listen to. If you go through all of Coltrane's records, to watch how he could play the simplest ballad and actually vary it. At least the first time through, less than 90% of musicians who ever played it would. And then he plays something where. It's all just made up, just stuff where he's just pushing every limit known to man. Yeah. Or you see Eric Dolphy or Ornette Coleman do something you didn't think was possible and you wonder how in the hell I ever thought of it in the first place. <laughs> you know? And you say, then you say, whether you like it or not, whether it feels good to your ear or not, you think, God, what, it's so great that somebody could think like that. Yeah, and, and feel free to do it, and that th- this music makes that kind of creativity possible.
1: I actually had a chance to work with Eric Dolphy at the early part of my career, and, and and because of what you say, it really opened my mind up to the point of of where I could explore new territory that prepared me for working with Miles Davis, yeah, I and mean, that happened in the right kind of timeline for me. I mean, you know, to me, I mean, a lot of that stuff,
2: I just thought, God, what was in that guy's head? I wish I knew. (laughs) I I wish I could think like that, even if it didn't, even if I didn't exactly like the stuff the first time I heard it, I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, or Roland Kirk blowing two horns and (laughs) all that stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, right. I, I just think it was, it was all, that's what jazz was, it was like, okay, you find yourself through this. Take it to your limit. Imagine something else. Yeah. And Maybe it'll last. Maybe it won't. But it, it, it's almost like a, in that sense, it's almost like theoretical science where you're always experimenting and pushing the limits, you know. Yeah. And you keep trying to make it square with whatever's going on inside you. I mean, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. You know, Miles used to tell me that, you know, uh, that he pays us. To to work on things, you know, not to be perfect, but to work on things, which is incredible. In other words, find whatever you can find, but don't just rest on your laurels. Don't just uh, play things that are comfortable. But you know, you know, look around uh, uh, outside the comfort zone, and not just stay in one place. And and uh, uh, it's the best lesson I could have ever heard from anyone. You know, and, and it 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 what makes me so Sad is that you know right now this country is facing uh, tremendous challenges and and even when we talk about education the arts are not considered essential and um, and yet that's totally counter to what you're saying about jazz which yeah
2: it's crazy it really we all, yes but that's another thing if you want to go back to this, let's talk about the education thing right thing that really bothers me about taking all these music education programs out of the schools and you, you probably know I've been active with the Save the Music program trying to help get instruments and education programs back in schools that have financial problems right, is right. we now have a lot of brain research which shows that people learn in all different kinds of ways. For example let's take something that has nothing to do with music. Some kids will learn math better working at, at a computer screen with a good software program Mm -hmm. and being able to repeat it and invariate it in creative ways than they will just in a classroom with a textbook listening to a teacher. We all, uh, some people learn better uh, reading, some people learn better listening, some people learn better doing. Our minds all work in different ways and there is lots of evidence that early and sustained exposure to music increases the imagination and the learning capacity of all kinds of people in ways that are unique to music. That, that if you take the music away, you will diminish the development of any number of young people, not just in music, but in all other in, areas of life. It's fascinating.
1: Bravo. Thank you for, for saying that. I, I wish I actually had access to, to more of, of, of the the information that, that you actually got. Um, well, you know, uh, you might, Georgia, when
2: Zell Miller was governor of Georgia, he used to, he had a program where they actually mailed classical music out, a CD, to all prospective mothers and urged it to play it to their children in the first six months of life. You ought to write down there and, and ask somebody from Georgia for information on that. And what's, what's the name? His name was Zell Miller. He was governor, then he was a senator. Now he's retired now. But Georgia know. had this program for many years where, I don't know if they still do it or not, but they did when he was president, Cause he, I mean, when he was governor, because he loved music. And they actually mailed CDs. I mean, he's, he's retired. He's teaching school or something down there. You could call him if you wanted. Is it Z-E-L? Zell Miller in okay, Atlanta. Yeah. Okay, great. You just tell him I told you to call him. Tell him you want to know more about, or, you know, if you call in his office, you can ask the whoever answers the phone if they can give you some information on the program he had when he was governor, so giving music to... Uh, mothers and their newborns,
1: but that's I, I, I got to find out about that. That's fantastic. W- one one thing I wanted to, to ask before you leave is is um, what what can we do to uh, change to kind of reverse the trend that seems to be going on? Uh, and what might we lose as a nation if that trend continues of kind of ignoring? the arts. So we, you've already stated some of it, but... We'll lose, we it we'll, we'll
2: lose however many kids there are who would have developed much better if they'd had music. Right. That, we'll lose that. We'll, that. we'll lose their extra edge. Somebody might discover some cure for a disease. Somebody might become a, you know, ground... figure out what to do about global warming. Somebody might... You know, we'll lose some of that. Right. And we will also lose a great deal of our own culture and, and history, and we'll lose, I think, uh, a little bit of our sense of community the, that, that we have. The thing about America is, at its best, it's about universal membership. You know, it's about equal opportunity and shared responsibility and universal membership, inclusive community. Absolutely. Jazz is inherently inclusive, and every member of a unit has personal responsibility and as an as opportunity to participate. You know, that's a whole ethic that makes societies work well. And if you walk away from the music, then that's one big um, sort of embedder of those, those habits of mind and heart that we need very much.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Do you, do you have any ideas about what we, what we might do to, to reverse okay. that?
2: Yeah, well, I think putting music back in the school is a good start. I think, you know, people yeah. love music, uh, but, but it shouldn't be, we shouldn't all be passive. I mean, there are lots of people like me that never would have been good enough to be great professionals, but the fact that we did it and loved it changed our lives forever, for the yeah. better, and enabled us to sh- keep participating at some level for a whole lifetime. You know, I've I write books and give speeches now. A lot of times I do it and listen to the music I love. It makes a big difference in how good it is.
1: This was really incredible, and thank you so much for, for spending time with me and thanks and with jazzers and and thanks for, for allowing me to do this. It's 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 really really fantastic, and I hope to see you see you sometime soon. Last time was at um, the dedication in, Louis- yeah. in Louisville. Uh, I remember Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali's uh, yeah event. That was that was great. Hope to see you sometime soon. I'm in New York. i got a concert on, on a Friday at, uh, at, at uh, Carnegie Hall. Good for you. Uh, I wish you could, could see that. And,
2: uh, maybe I can. Well, I'll look and see what my
1: schedule is. You take care now. Okay, thanks a lot, Bill Clinton. Bye. Bye, Herbie. Bye-bye.
0: I want to thank Tom Carter and Herbie Hancock of the Thelonious Monk Institute and, of course, President Bill Clinton for making this interview possible. To learn more about the Monk Institute, log on to MonkInstitute.org. And a big thanks to you for listening to today's episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think. And remember to log on to jazziz.com, become a subscriber for only $4.95 a month, and in addition to all the music, photography, art, and great stories we'll send your way, if you like, we can also send you alerts when new episodes of Jazz Is Not What You Think go live. And it's all at jazziz.com.